This morning, I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on a pinnacle, the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him and only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. Uh, we are in the season of Lent, and if you don't know what that means, we're going to talk about it in just a minute. But what, it, what we want to invite you to do during this season is to engage in some specific um, spiritual practices together. Uh, so if you were here at well, Ash Wednesday, one of the things that you realized was not only the imposition of the ashes, but also a spiritual invitation that we offered to the church. And if you missed it, we want to offer this today. We have found that um, when you do spiritual disciplines, when you do exercises to put yourself in a posture where God can shape you, it helps when we do it together. And so there are seasons here at Highland when we're all going to engage in the same kind of story and the same kind of rhythms just to see what happens when we put ourselves in a posture where God can meet us. And just like you saw on the bumper, there's that moment where her face kind of gets overlaid by the, the, the title of the sermon series, Reflect, and the, the L is that ash, and, and that ash suddenly appears right in the middle of her forehead, and that's the way it is. Suddenly, the mark of Christ appears on you. Now, I don't mean literally appears on you. I mean it is the image that you bear. It is the way that you reflect Jesus. And so we want you to engage in a very specific spiritual exercise for the next 40 days, not counting Sundays. Um, we want you to engage in a praxis that focuses on seven virtues. And you're going to see those virtues up on the screen. Um, we want you to pick one. And we want you to engage in this virtue in a very specific way. We want it to be incarnational, incarnate in your body. Uh, we want it to be interpersonal, engaged with somebody else, and we want it to be habitual. We want it to be something that you do more than once. Now, there's a whole spectrum of, of spiritual exercises and disciplines that are good for you. And some of those are disciplines where you withdraw, just like Jesus did. He took himself away and he went to the desert to pray. 
Uh, he spent time just with God. He spent time in silence. You can spend time in meditation, reading scripture, and, and kind of dwelling in that, the presence of the Spirit and the Word in that way. You can do those things, and those are good for you, but sometimes we neglect the interpersonal uh, disciplines. And so this Lent, we're going to lean a little more heavy in that direction. I think the best example, this is uh, Richard Beck uh, gave us at staff the inspiration for this, and he told it in this story. The reason why it needs to be incarnational, interpersonal, and habitual. Richard Beck is, is a very popular teacher at ACU, and he's also uh, the chair of the psychology department. And he loves to teach. His, teachers, uh, his students love to take his classes. Um, but being the chair carries with it some administrative duties that Beck just doesn't love as much. Uh, and I get that. Everybody has parts of their job that they just don't love as much as other parts of the job. But he realized in the course of just kind of doing work day in and day out that his administrative assistant, who's supposed to help him do those administrative tasks, began to realize he doesn't love this part of the job. And he doesn't want to do it. And he doesn't spend time doing it. And, and Beck became aware of that. He spent some time in, in, in reflection and, and, and realized, wow, and so he made a very intentional effort with his body, with his time, and his habit. You see, before this, because he didn't really want to deal with the administrative tasks, he'd kind of talk to his administration, administrative assistant from the door jam of her office. He wouldn't even step in. He didn't want to touch the carpet. He'd just kind of hang out there. Let's just get this done. Let's get this over. Let's get, okay, now I can go do the stuff I want to do. And so he made the intentional effort that he is going to step into her office and sit down in the chair, and he's just going to talk as long as she wanted to talk. And he did it over and over and over. He put his body in the chair. He paid attention to someone else, gave, him, gave her his full attention, and he did it as a habit. I wonder what happens when you engage in the praxis of an incarnational, habitual, and interpersonal action. Now, what we want you to do, if you, didn't, or if you weren't able to go to Ash Wednesday, uh, you missed a lot, but um, we want you to be able to engage in the praxis as well. And so you can, can go over at the end of the service. If you want to even get up in the sermon, I'm not going to be mad. It'll be okay. You go over there and, uh, and pick one of those seven virtues. But when you get there, you're going to realize that the card that we want you to take with you has the word written backwards. It looks something like this. And what we want you to do with that card is put it somewhere where it makes sense. Put it behind you when you're getting ready in the morning. Like, so tape it to the wall behind your mirror, right? Or maybe tape it to the back seat of your car when you see it when you're driving in the rear view. The whole thing is we want to be a reflection of God. So as you look at yourself in the mirror, see the virtue that you want to be reflected in your own life. And then pick a person or a few people. Keep it small. Keep it straightforward and make it habitual, interpersonal, incarnational. Do it with your body. There's also an instruction sheet. There's some inspiration on the back of each card. Pick a virtue, um, and as you leave, uh, take a scoop of sand from the virtue you chose and just put it in the vase in front of it. Now, these are the vases from Ash Wednesday, and you can see people have chosen uh, different virtues that you're going to have it, and we're going to keep this on the platform for the rest of Lent to remind us of what we're doing together, this spiritual act. And I wonder what happens when Highland, the Highland Church puts itself in a posture to be shaped by God. So if you want to get up now, you can get up after the service, uh, grab a card, scoop of sand, and engage in the praxis together. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this time together. We're grateful for uh, being gathered around this very large table uh, with all of our brothers and sisters to celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Father, we are grateful to be uh, reminded of the truth of our baptism, that we are saved by grace through faith, of what your son, Jesus, has done in this world is enough for us. And now, Father, as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. But I want to tell you first about a story about a lunch I had. I had one of those get-to-know-you lunches. You know, you've probably had those before where you sit down to eat with somebody else and you basically kind of tell a little bit about your life story and, and how you got where you are today so you, got, you can get to know each other better. Well, I, I sat down with this, this one young man and, and he, he, he grew up in a family that owned a restaurant business. And he had spent most of his life, if he wasn't in school, at the restaurant. When he started being a busboy when he was like 12, and then he graduated to dishwasher, and then he moved to the point where when he was in high school, he was running the back of house. He was running the kitchen. And there was this expectation in his family that when he graduated high school, he was just going to start working for the restaurant. That was going to be his job. And so when he, he went straight to working for his family restaurant out of high school, and he was successful. He was good at what he did, and the restaurant did really well. But if you've ever worked in a restaurant or even owned a restaurant, then you know that there is a lot of work that is required of you. And it takes way more than 40 hours a week to run restaurants, and you have to pay a lot of attention to the job. And he rarely had time for vacation. And then he got married a, a few years later, about three years later, to a woman who already had a child, and they got pregnant within about three months of the wedding. Now, by the time the baby was born, his father had died, and her mother had become so debilitatingly ill that she had to move in with them, and her sister gave up her two kids for them in a foster situation that never really resolved itself. Now, I remember one time I had a professor that was... He was teaching a class, but this was kind of an off-topic. He was just kind of reflecting on his life, and he said that he never had as much free time in his life as he did in college, or even more so in grad school. Now, I was, I was taking that class as a grad student, and, and I, I had just stayed up the night before reading and writing papers until like two in the morning, and I thought he was crazy, because I could not imagine a life more full in that moment than when I was in grad school. But now I realize the truth that he was right, that I never had as much free time as I did when I was in college or in grad school. Now, I know some of your students in there are just shaking your heads because sing song is revving up and midterms are crashing down and you're thinking, I'm crazy. And the truth is I am. It's just not in the way you think. But here's the thing that my, my friend at lunch he was just kind of reflecting on his life, and he wasn't regretting. That's not the word that he would have used. But he was realizing that he missed something because his life just started full speed. I mean, there was no on-ramp to his adult life. He just was on I-35 in the middle of Austin traffic going 85 miles an hour from the time that he was 18 until the time that I met him. He just never stopped. And he was reflecting that he missed the time 
that other people had to reflect and to ponder and to prepare. His marriage began with a child, and quickly there were three more within a year. His life as an 18-year-old, he lost his father, and he was caring for his mother-in-law, and he had a business that the rest of the family was relying on him to operate. And so, as we approach this story of Jesus and temptation, I want to make a thesis today about our lives and about this text, which I think we sometimes miss. That a lifestyle of preparation doesn't have to end just because the work begins. That a lifestyle of preparation, that that time that you had to ponder and to wonder and to prepare and to question, that doesn't end just because your work begins. In fact, I have a suspicion that it may be the only way that we can do the right work. So we're in a season of Lent, and you may not know what that means. It's the 40 days minus the Sundays that lead from Ash Wednesday to Easter. And I want to tell you why I want you to engage in spiritual experience. And sometimes the traditional thing to do in Lent is to give up something. You can give up soda or, or going out to eat. You can give up uh, watching so much TV or, or social media. You can give up something. You abstain for it. But what we want you to actually do is engage in a different way. But I will tell you this, the most meaningful experiences that I've ever had at Easter is when I participated fully in Lent. So I want you to try it and see it. And this year in this sermon series, we're going to follow the lectionary. And the lectionary is just this list of texts that they're assigned to you each week. So you don't have to just figure out what you're preaching every day. Because there's this bad habit that preachers can get into where they just kind of have four sermons and they just work through them. When I was growing up, it was like the Baptists are wrong, the Methodists were wrong, the Catholics are wrong, everybody else was wrong. And when you got to everybody else was wrong, you just went back to why the Baptists were wrong. Like that was just, that was our four sermons. I probably have four sermons as well if I was, wasn't being careful. I just don't, I don't know what they are. You know what they are because you've heard them a dozen times already. But, but what the lectionary does is it gives you a list. And over the course of the three years, you get this really healthy diet in the scope of Scripture. The lectionary gives you a great dose of what, who Jesus is. It gives you the power and the stories of the rest of the New Testament. It familiarizes with you and helps you understand the rich depth of the Old Testament, the prophets and the prayers and the stories. And so over those three years, you get this really healthy diet. And I wanted to be a good liturgical preacher And I found out that this is year A, and so I wanted to see what they had to offer to preach. And so I opened up my my list, and then I opened up, I read the text, and I didn't like what I saw because it was Matthew chapter 4, and we've already done that like in the last six months, and so I don't have anything new to say about that. So I thought, well, let's check out year B and year C to see if they're any different. And this is the dirty trick of the lectionary. Uh, They are different, but it's the same story. It's in the story of the temptation from Mark and the story of the temptation from Luke. And this is just a dirty trick. So I guess what they're trying to tell us is we need to hear about this. I guess I'm not a good liturgical preacher. They're all the same. It's all the same story. And that's on purpose. 
Where we're going to go for the next few weeks is this grand sweeping tour of Jesus' life. We're going to see miracles and we're going to hear profound wisdom as we travel with Jesus to Jerusalem and the cross. And all along the way, we're going to keep asking ourselves, who is this Jesus? Who is Jesus? And in fact, during the season of Lent, that's the story that you travel every year from Ash Wednesday to Easter, Ash Wednesday to Easter, Ash Wednesday to Easter. Who is Jesus? They take three different paths, but it's the same story. So I wonder why they chose to begin with the temptation in the desert, to the temptation of Jesus. At first, I wonder, maybe it's because there's a symmetry in the, the 40 days. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. We're going to spend 40 days getting ready for Easter. Maybe it's a sense of pre preparation that happened there, that while Jesus is in the desert fasting, he's not getting weaker or more distracted. He's getting stronger and more focused on what his mission is going to be, and that's what we're doing. But regardless of why we begin here, Jesus ends in the same place being tempted by the accuser, the Satan, the evil one. Three times, Satan offers him a question. Do you think your ministry should be about this? Do you think your ministry should be about that? Would you like to make it easier? Because I, I could help you actually achieve your goals. Would you like the easier way? Richard Rohr says these temptations are about power. The bread is about everyday power. Standing at the top of the temple and falling is about religious power. And becoming in control of all the nations in the world is about political power. Bread, feats of miracles, and manipulating the power of the state for your own end. And, and think about how truly clever the Satan is. He's preying on Jesus' own body and the care of it. Of course, Jesus should care for his own body. He's, he's praying on Jesus' own power and the demonstration of it. Of course, Jesus has to demonstrate that he is the Son of God. And he's praying on Jesus' mission and the shortcut to achieve it. And what's interesting is that every time Jesus says no, but he's actually going to do those things in the course of his ministry. Jesus will actually use these things. He will feed people. And he'll draw the crowds who will be amazed and befuddled at the same time. And God will use Rome and Jerusalem as pawns in a much greater game to release Jesus' kingdom. Rohr also says this about these temptations. Because they're all temptations. This is what all temptations are. It's choosing the partial good over the fully good. It's choosing what's good for the moment over what's good for the season. It's choosing what's good for me over what's good for all. That every temptation is, 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 is the choice between choosing the partial good and the true good. And in all of these things, in Jesus' ministry, he chooses the complete and perfect good every time. And it's, it's a struggle. And all of these things, in Jesus' ministry, he chooses the complete and perfect good. So think about the next 40 days. 
as preparation for Easter. Think about the next 40 days as preparation of engaging in a a time and a moment with someone else where you can display kindness or humility or joy or compassion or mercy or any of those other virtues as preparation, as, as practice. Because life is preparation. And I want to be careful as I say this, but I want, so I want you to hear me carefully. I think that God views our sins not so much as an opportunity to punish as an opportunity to teach. I think God views sin not so much as an opportunity to punish as an opportunity to prepare. I mean, think about every mistake that you've ever made. Every time that you've hurt someone else, every time that you've done something that was selfish or painful or, 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 or sinful, every mistake, you can, if you think about it, if you dwell on it for a minute, you can figure out why. I got caught off guard. I didn't know what to do in the moment, and I panicked. I was, I was tired, and I was hungry, and I just wanted this to finish. I just wanted it to end. I, I, I didn't know what to do, and I, so I, I, made, I used my best judgment, and I made a mistake. I made the wrong choice. Or I, you know, what I intended to be the best, it didn't work out, and it had consequences that I didn't see. God isn't looking to punish you for those choices as much as God wants to walk beside you in a time of preparation for you to see who you truly can be, who you truly are. Every mistake is preparation for what's to come. That's my son. Don't worry about that. He's not calling for daddy. That's clear. Um, Every mistake is preparation. Life, life is grad school. Life is, life is college. Life is 40 days out in the wilderness, learning to hear the voice of God and finding the courage to follow that voice. And this is where we begin as a body together to engage the practices that are embodied, incarnational, habitual, interpersonal. And I think what we're going to find is that God will meet us there. Would you please stand for our benediction? I'm going to call our um, prayer team to the front. If you would like to have prayer, uh, they want to be available for you. They'd love to talk with you, anything you need. Uh, They would uh, love to If it's a cup of coffee later this week, uh, they want to be available for you. The Connections Lunch will start about 15 minutes after uh, the service, uh, so you can head to the back of the foyer if you've already RSVP'd for that. Um, And if you haven't had a chance to uh, make a commitment with Sam and take a card home with you, we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, Let me leave us with this. That the God who created the universe the God that is perfect in every way, who never made a mistake, not even in you, is waiting to walk with you, who delights in your discovery of him. So this week, go in peace and go with courage to know that your whole life is preparation for another moment, for another day, to share and be God's love. Go in peace.